Welcome to another episode of Settlement Nation. I am Courtney Barber and I'm joined today by my co-host Chris Boer as well as Bethany Schneider, a trial attorney and the founder of Schneider Injury Law out of Atlanta. Now, Bethany founded her practice in 2018 after many years of trying high stakes personal injury and wrongful death cases for huge corporations. Since she opened her own firm, Bethany has consistently been named as a super lawyer's rising star and has obtained nearly $13 million in compensation for her clients. So welcome, Bethany. Thank you. We are super happy to have you today. And something that excites me is having female trial attorneys on Settlement Nation because, you know, we always have a lot of males, but I love to uh, promote the females in this very small industry. So we really appreciate you coming on and we can't wait to hear more about you. Starting with that, I love to know the background of our guests. And, you know, it is such an interesting field that you've gone into, but what sort of prompted you to think as a child or in high school, like, I want to be a attorney and then I want to be a trial attorney? Well, you know, growing up, I thought I would be a pediatrician or a veterinarian. And so then I got to high school and started having science classes like physics and everything and was complaining to my mom one day. And, you know, as all moms do, they know the best for you, right? Um, so she said uh, to me, I think when I was in ninth grade, well, why? I mean, you're not very good at math or science. Why are you going to be, uh, you know, going to the medical profession? You're really good at reading and arguing. So I think you should be a lawyer. And from that day on, I just thought, OK, I'm going to be a lawyer and <laughs> kind of went with it. And I mean, she was right. Um, this is like the perfect field for me. I love everything about being a trial lawyer. Um, and, and so I've really enjoyed it. That's great. Um, what about your background when you were at a law firm uh, that was really large? Uh, why don't you give the name of that and then speak a little bit about what it was like working in that environment? Sure. I was really lucky to uh, find a job out of law school at King & Spaulding, which is one, I think it's the biggest uh, law firm in Atlanta. It is an international firm, but um, I was in the tobacco litigation group and uh, when I started, this tobacco litigation in Florida called the Engel Progeny litigation was just heating up. And so I kind of got in on the front end of that and was able to get um, a ton of trial experience that is very atypical for big law firms. So I was able to, um, I feel very lucky because I was able to be at a big law firm surrounded by people very talented. I mean, the, some of the most talented trial lawyers in the country, while also myself getting a ton of trial experience, litigation experience. Um, you know, as a fourth year, I started getting in the courtroom myself. I went to 26 trials um, during the course of that time, was in the courtroom, 11 of those deposed hundreds of witnesses, including expert witnesses. And so just some fantastic uh, training and experience, um, you know, in like in a big law firm too, which is, you know, just very atypical. Yeah. So we have a lot of younger attorneys that listen to Settlement Nation. So I think they'd be interested to learn when you went out on your own on in uh, 2018, what were some of the challenges that you faced when you started off uh, doing you know, your own practice on your own? Well, I, there were a lot. 
Um, I mean, especially coming from big law, you know, you have so many resources at big law firms that then, you know, you come and start your own practice and you're, I mean, I had my like biggest challenge was figuring out certified mail. I'm like, how do you do this? Um, (laughs) I still haven't figured it out. (laughs) But, um, you know, it was interesting because the tobacco lawyer um, at King and Spalding in Florida, I was not really doing any insurance. I didn't deal with insurance companies at all because RJ Reynolds is self-insured. I also had really only practiced in Florida. So I had never really practiced in Georgia. So I was not only having to, you know, learn how to kind of be on the other side of things, but I was having to learn Georgia law as well as really how to be a personal injury lawyer. But I think that, you know, the plaintiff's bar is just unlike any other. I mean, they're, especially here in Georgia and Atlanta, they're super close knit and our GTLA, our Georgia Trial Lawyers Association puts out so many, um, you know, good educational programs that I was really able to depend on my, you know, other plaintiff's lawyers in town to really help me get up to speed uh, on, you know, being a plaintiff's lawyer and having my own practice. And, you know, there were definitely some difficult lessons learned along the way. Sometimes you have to make mistakes um, you know, to learn, but it's, it's been a very enjoyable experience overall. So I would, I would say one of the biggest aspects of running your own practice is marketing and getting the word out about your firm. And I would say that you do an excellent job because I see you on LinkedIn every day. We're not even connected, but you are, uh, intertwined with so many people within the legal and settlement industry that, that your content makes it to all corners. So I wanted to uh, learn more about your strategy, uh, marketing your services, your firm, and uh, using those platforms for uh, brand awareness of, Sh- of Schneider Injury Law. Well, thank you for that. That's that's good to know. Um, I, you know, it is something I, I feel like I've struggled with personally, but, you know, um, it, it has been a big priority for me, obviously, having my own, own firm. You have to kind of keep fresh material uh, all the time. I started out where before I even announced my own firm every day, you know, you kind of have a LinkedIn, like you have a cap number of people you can invite on a daily basis. And I would like every day, I would just kind of go down the list of people you may know and invite the maximum amount of people. So then, you know, now I've gotten a ton of connections and I mean, they're just, a lot of them are just random, but you never know the connections that you can make. Um, more recently, I, I kind of always shied away from Instagram just because, I mean, I'm a millennial, but not really, you know, I, I don't feel like that confident and like knowing what's cool and stuff to post on Instagram. But I realized that that's definitely a platform you have to be on to be relevant in kind of this world. And so I've been, you know, making a bigger push to, you know, have uh, posts on a regular basis. I just found a woman who started her own um, company doing videos. And so, uh, you know, we've been putting out at least trying to put out one video a week. And I think I've gotten a lot of positive feedback on that. But I mean, the lesson I've learned is just, you know, um, I mean, just keep keep doing it. Being, being consistent about posting, I think is the most important thing. And not to be afraid to post a selfie. <laughs> So are we going to see any uh, TikTok videos from you, Bethany, coming up? I'm sorry? Are we going to see any TikTok videos from you coming up? Or is that is that still in the I'm not sure category? Yeah, I'm not even on TikTok. So I don't, I don't think so. You know, and I mean, it's interesting, right? Um, because as a female, 
you know, in this, in this profession, you always have that challenge, I think, to maintain your professionalism. Um, And so that's something that I've been trying to be really aware of as I do more of a push on social media is you want to be taken seriously. And it's so easy as a female to, um, I feel like, do something that all of a sudden you're not taken seriously. And so that's kind of always something I'm thinking about whatever I'm doing in marketing. Right. And that leads really, you know, fantastically into this next section that I wanted to cover with you, which were challenges that you might have faced as a female trial attorney. And this is two parts. I sort of want to know what challenges you've faced, but then also I want to know what advantages you've had as uh, being a female in such a small group. It's a very powerful group, but it's quite a small group of attorneys that are doing plaintiff work. Yeah. I mean, I think that the challenges have been that I, you know, unfortunately I haven't really had many role models. Um, you know, I mean, the, the role models I've had and the mentors I've had have been men. And so in trying to figure out, okay, how to be a persuasive, powerful female trial attorney has been something that's been a struggle over the years for me because finding your voice, finding your persona, you know, you face the challenge of, you know, I don't want to be weak, but on the other hand, you don't want to be, you know, seen as, you know, um, an angry female or something either. Um, You know, I, I definitely got critiques coming up as being too aggressive, you know, things that, um, I don't, uh, things were said to me, I don't think would ever been, have been said to a man, especially because right. I was the same things that I saw men doing, you know? And so now I kind of, uh, since I've been on my, on my own, I, I've just embraced who I am, which is, I mean, it kind of goes along with my tagline, which is compassionate counselor and tough advocate. And I feel like as a female, um, I'm, I sell myself to my clients and look, I mean, you know, you're struggling with the, the toughest time of your life. Don't you want somebody that has compassion and empathy and will take the time to talk with you and guide you and, and really kind of nurture you along through this process. And I think as a female, I think as females in general, we have more emotional intelligence sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that is an advantage to me, uh, for me. Um, but then also, you know, my it's compassionate counselor, tough advocate. And and I've just kind of embraced that, you know, sometimes I'm going to be very aggressive. And, you know, if I'm known as that, oh, that aggressive female trial lawyer in my community, well, so be it. I'd rather be known as that than some kind of pushover. So, um, you know, sometimes I'm like, well, it's good that they, you know, kind of wince when they see that I'm on the case. Exactly. <laughs> So we love to talk about results here at Settlement Nation. And when I was looking at your website, uh, one case stood out to me that I'd, I'd love for you to talk about, which was uh, a verdict from 2019 where you got $5.5 million. If you could just talk a little bit about how you prepped for that trial, a uh, little bit about uh, how the trial unfolded, any memorable moments or, or uh, pieces of advice that you could take away from that case to share with our audience. 
Sure. That was a traumatic brain injury trial. It was my second ever trial as a plaintiff's attorney. Um, I had had my first trial as a plaintiff's attorney the week before a car wreck, small car wreck case. So um, it was, you know, very early on for me in, uh, in trying to figure out, you know, how to be a plaintiff's attorney. But um, it involved a pipe falling off uh, a couple stories high building and hitting my client in the head. So, you know, in prepping for the trial, I I was very familiar with trial prep because as I had said before, I mean, I went to, you know, 20 plus trials um, when I was doing the tobacco uh, litigation and, and all of that involved like a lot of trial prep and getting ready. And I think that, you know, prep is key. So you can never be over prepared. So, you know, a few weeks before trial, I already had all my outlines done, my PowerPoints uh, for my opening, you know, and then closing and just kind of knowing what you're going to do and being thoroughly prepared for whatever could come up is, is so important. And, you know, I think we really did out prepare the other side um, because I think that they, you know, um, just, I, I don't think they were as prepared a, as us. So when we get to trial, you know, the biggest challenge to that case and being a traumatic brain injury was that there was a three year, three month, six day gap between when the injury occurred and the first time there was a diagnosis of a concussion and a traumatic brain injury. Uh, Our client had had a broken nose as well. So he'd had some treatment for that, but he had been having headaches and um, some cognitive issues for a few years before he ever went to the doctor. So, you know, that case, I really, um, started learning and honing my skills and what I have now termed embracing and weaponizing your, uh, the defense's favorite facts. And so, you know, I studied Keith Mitnick a lot and he talks a lot about defense's favorite facts and his book is don't eat the bruises. And, you know, this gap in that trial was, you know, the, the defense just came in and thought, Oh, well, we've got, you know, we've got this in the bag. I mean, this is, you know, we're just going to continue to put this, you know, calendar up there and show, hey, he never reported, you know, these things until three, almost three and a half years later, didn't go to the doctor for three and a half years. But we were prepared and had thought through that. I mean, the biggest, you know, thing you need to do in preparing for trial is, you know, what are the defense's favorite facts? What are your big, biggest weaknesses? And how can I either, you know, embrace those or actually weaponize those and turn them around on the other side? And so our whole trial, we just spent building and filling in that gap with testimony from the treaters uh, um, and family members and friends about um, all of the things that he was experiencing. So in our closing, we used the defense's timeline that they tried to show, oh, look at this big gap. And we were able to place all the testimony uh, on there to show there was really no gap. And so in actually the biggest testament to this and how you can really weaponize um, some of the defense's favorite facts against the defense is that um, in our punitive, we got a punitive verdict as well. And the punitive verdict was 500,336. And we were able to talk to the jurors afterwards and they were like, did you get that number? You know, did you get that? Did you get that? And we were like, no, what's this 336? And they're like, for three years, three months, six days. So they had so hated the defense for making this a big issue because we were able to show it wasn't that they actually put that number in the punitive amount. 
That's super fascinating. And we'll definitely put that in the show notes, show notes about the defense's favorite facts in Keith Mitnick's book, because that we really enjoy. And I think a lot of our listeners too, getting these little details and these words of wisdom from our guests. So thank you for sharing that with us. Cause I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that go away and buy that book and then really sort of hone down that skill in their own trials. But Something that we like to talk about with our guests, you know, we've got trial lawyers that have ranged from being in their own practice for a couple of years to 20 years plus is that they all have mentors that they like to go to or people in the industry that they look up to and and get training from or have calls with. Do you have a specific person or group of people that you look up to as mentors or that you go to for advice in your career, Bethany? Right now, I think that the biggest people that I rely on are just my peers. I mean, I'm on a couple different listservs. Um, I also have like a group that we try to meet like once a month and, uh, we, you know, just kind of fo- instead of a focus group, you know, with jurors, we do focus group, you know, our cases and issues with each other. And like I had said before, I think the plaintiff's bar is just so great at that, at being so open and willing to share advice and, you know, uh, willing to share work product and things. So I feel like on a daily basis, I can pick up the phone and call somebody and say, Hey, what do you think about this case? Or what do you think about, you know, this case? Or what do you think about this issue? And our listserv, our DTLA listserv is great too, because, you know, you can ask a question on that and get like a million answers, like in a few, in a few, you know, minutes, like last, last week I had, um, a deposition of a billing expert who, and that's a type of expert I've never had before, who was going to testify that the medical bills was un, unreasonable. And so I, you know, put it out something on the listserv and, you know, within probably an hour, I had gotten probably 15 responses and it, it helped, so helped me prepare for the deposition the next day. And, you know, I try to pass that on and, and, you know, put out as much information as I can and work product as I can on the listserv as well. That's great. So, Bethany, uh, our last question, which is when we ask all of our guests is, what do you know now that you wish you knew five or 10 years ago when you were an attorney? So thinking about this, I think one of the things that I kind of wish I knew is that, you know, your practice as a lawyer is going to be ever evolving and that's okay. You know, I think when we get out of law school or when we're we're a young lawyer, we think, oh, we have to have it all figured out. What kind of lawyer are we going to be? What kind of practice are we going to have? You know, we need a specialty. Okay, what are we going to do? Okay, we're going to go, you know, on this course and we're going to become a partner in the firm and then, you know, all of that. And I think that for most people, the path is just not <laughs> not as straight as that. And and I think that you have to be open to new opportunities. You have to be open to uh, realizing that you're going to be going down a road that you never you know even thought possible. And you have to be just more open to things coming. And 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 as a lawyer, I think that you're you're best if you are ever evolving and learning new things and trying new things. I think the other thing that I would say um, is that, you know, to be the best lawyer you can be, you also need to be a whole person because, you know, especially at big firms, we can get so wrapped up in, in just our work and just stressing about, you know, just so focused on our practice and, you know, where, what we're doing and how we're getting ahead and, you know, whether we're going to be promoted and, you know, what the partners think of us, um, that we forget that, 
you know, a lot about being a trial lawyer is having life experiences and being able to relate to people in a persuasive, meaningful, impactful way. And to do that, you need to have a life. And so, I mean, that's one thing that I've really tried to do since I've started my own firm is kind of live life more and, and, and work on being a whole person that can, you know, present that to a jury versus somebody who's just so focused on being a lawyer. Wow. I think that's great advice for all of us. Um, thank you so much, Bethany, for coming on. If uh, any of our listeners want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to connect? Well, my email address, you can get me directly is Bethany, B-E-T-H-A-N-Y at SchneiderInjuryAttorney.com or my firm phone number is 404-800-3060. And both of those ways you can get in touch with me directly. Great. And I'd also highly encourage everyone to uh, try to connect with you on LinkedIn because like I said earlier, I think you're doing a great job on there and I think uh, people would find it very useful. So hopefully uh, you can uh, grow your grow your connections through Settlement Nation. Okay, so, great. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much uh, for listening. Uh, remember to uh, like and subscribe and review our podcast. And thank you again, Bethany. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Bethany. Thanks.